Amen. Thank you, Father Richard. Um, I really appreciate that opening. Um, it leads right into what I want to share on and talk about talk about this morning. <clears throat> um, so once again, welcome to all. Uh, let's let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, our Father, we worship you. Lord, we come before you as your children. Father, we thank you that you are God, and that we can know you and worship you. Lord, we pray for more of your presence. We pray that we would be these living stones, Lord, that you want to build to build your church. We pray, Lord, that you work in us. We, I pray, Lord, for your blessing over the words that are spoken this morning. Lord, that you would, you would give them life. We pray for your anointing over this time. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, <clears throat> so, amen. Thank you. Um, I want to start by taking a bit out of what Richard shared um, so, I'm sure most of us know what a mason is. A mason, a bricklayer, someone who works with bricks. But have you ever talked to a stone mason? A stone mason is someone who works with stones. And if you talk to a stone mason, they'll always tell you it's a completely different world than a bricklayer. A stone mason thinks completely differently. They're working with the stones the way they naturally are. And usually around here, stone masons do, um, they do facades. They do, uh, it's like a covering on the outside of the house. And they're trying to make each stone fit together. And that's the picture I get when, <clears throat> when Peter here is talking about God taking these stones and, and cutting them and making them and forming them so they can lay together. In that era, um, they did a lot of stonework. And some buildings used mortar, some didn't. If you used mortar, you had a lot of room to work. You had some room to work with. It filled in the cracks. But um, true stones just lay one against another. Like the way the temple was built. One stone, was, each stone was perfectly cut, and they fit together perfectly to build walls, to build foundations. Um, like the foundation of the temple, it's still standing today. Those stones, they haven't moved over thousands of years. And that's, that's the picture of what, <clears throat> of what God has to work with. Um, he doesn't have, he's not, he's not a bricklayer where he has all these bricks that stack together and they come pre-made. But it's a different picture. It's God taking these stones um, taking these stones and uh, but you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood 
to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Um, so God is, is taking us as his stones and he has to, he has to cut us. He has to chip away at the pieces. So we are actually become usable, the use of the stones for the building of his temple, of which Christ is the chief cornerstone. So I want to, I want to lead into um, my message today is on the trials of life. <clears throat> um, processing the trials of life, of this life. Uh, so in our youth meeting, we're studying, we started a study on James 1. And uh, that's, that's what has been on my heart and on my mind. Um, so what are our trials, what are our struggles, what are the tests and the temptations of our life? What do they do and how, how can we look at them? And for some of the youth here, you might uh, feel like you heard some of this. But someone told me last week that uh, people remember 25% of what they hear. Uh, so <laughs> maybe you can glean some more. You should be able to glean a little more from this message. Um, so yeah, so life is a journey. And every journey has its challenges. Every project, every building project um, we're talking about has its difficulties. Everything great um, has a lot of obstacles in its place. It's how, great, it's how great things are defined. It's how great things, great accomplishments are defined by the amount of obstacles that were overcome. Um, for us, on our Christian journey, we start, um, for all of us on our Christian journey, we start with a pretty large deficit. We start, uh, we start in a deep hole. We actually start in a hopeless predicament. And there's no way out except for one. And that's the life of Christ and his sacrifice in our place. And in his life, we can overcome. In his, uh, with his strength, with his power, we can overcome. They're continued. But the beginning of that journey, after that, um, after receiving Christ, there's still continual, there's continual challenges. There are battles, there are mountains, there are valleys to cross. And I think especially for young Christians, it's important to realize, um, it's important to know that there will be challenges. It's an and it's important for us to realize where they're coming from and to realize what's going on and what, are, what we are supposed to do, what we're supposed to be doing with these challenges, what's supposed to be happening. Because it can seem like um, these challenges, these trials, um, these temptations, the, the, the old King James, the King James calls it temptations. Uh, when you fall into diverse temptations. Um, and we wonder what, what's happening. Why, why is this so difficult? And I believe part of the answer is what Richard shared today, is that God, God's plan is building a church. And he needs to make us into vessels that he can use. He needs to mold us and, and break us into rocks that he can use for building. 
And that's ultimately his plan. So if you want to turn to James chapter 1, um, that'll be my text. James chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And that'll be my key verse today. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And a, a lot of times we wonder, how do we even process this? How are trials, um, how are trials, how do we look at a trial? Which, how, we, how do we go through a trial with joy? A trial is a hard time. A trial is a challenge. Uh, like I said, the King James calls it, a, count it all joy when you fall into Diverse temptations. Temptations and joy. <clears throat> and we're going on to verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may per be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally with, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And in verse 4, we have God's plan, that his plan is that we, let, we learn patience. And let patience, if patience is perfected, patience grows in us, that we may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He wants to bring us to perfection. He wants to complete us. To make us a complete vessel that he can use. <clears throat> but let him ask in faith with, not, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea. Driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything of the Lord. He is double minded and unstable in all his ways. And that's James 1 verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> so starting out what are trials? What are trials? What are these trials that he is, he is talking about here? And the first and immediate one that comes to mind, and especially considering the audience that James was writing to, um, that these, these believers were persecuted. They were being persecuted. They were being uh, driven from their homes, a lot of them. And that's, that's one of the first and most obvious ones, I think, in the context. But others... Are, uh, they, they come in many different forms, They're many different types. You have uh, sickness, challenges, and, and stress. You have financial distress. They can be relationships. They can be uh, rejection, temptations, tests, all of those things. They're all the trials of life. Challenges, those challenges in life, the things in life that make it hard. And we're supposed to count them, count it all joy. And he doesn't say just don't, don't complain about them. Don't complain about those things. God, is, God has it in control. Stop complaining. I mean, if we're complaining, we should stop complaining. But he says count it all joy.
Count it all joy. In other words, rejoice. Be, be happy about those things. And that's, uh, it sounds like a stretch. Um, starting with persecution, I want to go through them here. Um, what about persecution? Can you count all joy? I mean, what if police came in here and, and started arresting and taking people away to prison? Uh, what if what we're doing here, the way we're meeting, was suddenly illegal? Would we count it for joy if we were forced to run for our lives, if we had to leave our home, our stuff? A lot of things wouldn't matter anymore, that's for sure. But how do we count it for joy? And I believe me, I mean, I think we can be assured that the people James was writing to were challenged. It is a challenge. It's not easy. We are attached to this world. We are, uh, we are living in a real world, and it, it's a part of us. But it's seeing the end goal is the only way. Seeing, seeing things the way God sees them is the only way we can start counting it for joy. I mean, we, we, we may all suffer persecution at some level, I mean, we're not tortured or being chased from our home, but it, uh, persecution can also come in other forms, um, like ridicule, in spite, rejection. Um, those are types of persecution. Those can be types of persecution. <clears throat> and the only way we have to think that God is able to make something good come out of these things. Um, so what other trials is James referring to? Um, one is uh, sickness. People who are struggling with sickness or people who suddenly get a diagnosis. And we can start to wonder what, what sense, what good is there in that? How is this helping anyone? And it's, we have to wonder. Um, it seems like it's hindering what I could, what someone could be doing. But here James says he's counted all joy when you fall into various trials. Even in sickness, we can have the confidence that God wants to use this for our best interest. If we love him and we're called according to his purpose. Um, another big one is... Uh, Relational problems, relationships with people, um, challenges with other people, getting annoyed or rubbed the wrong way. Right, way. Um, sometimes people closest to us, people we love the most, can hurt us the most. Sometimes people we should, we should get along with great. There should be no issue. Or just, it's just constant friction. It's constant Struggle and that that can be that can be relationship those can be some of the biggest trials of our lives. Uh, personal challenges <clears throat> when things in our life just don't work, and and those can be simple things. It can it can seem small things. Even if we talk about them, we we might feel 
a little awkward. Okay, I'm, I'm struggling with this, but it's, it's a struggle for me. Um, things like a car not starting or not getting something to work, not being able to fix something that we think we should. <clears throat> things not going the way we planned. Those can be small trials. And in all of those, we, should count, we can count them for joy because God is doing something. God is trying to do something. Um, another big one is rejection. Uh, rejection is, can be a huge trial. Rejection from family, rejection from friends, um, rejection from the in crowd, Rejection between boys and girls. Sometimes it's even presumed rejection. Uh, people expecting more than they should out of a relationship. Um, but those can be tremendously deep, deep struggles and cause tremendous heartache. Um, temptations. Like the King James, the old King James says, um, this sounds, and, and how are temptations good? It, it even, how, how is the struggle doing me or anyone else good? And in the end, I think it's only if we see the end goal, only if we see, if we see God's end purpose. If we understand what God can do with our lives, or what God wants to do with our lives, those things can make sense. See, in God's eyes, it's, it's much more important to Him that we learn patience, that we learn to trust Him, that we grow in character, that we learn to trust Him as a worthy God than that we are comfortable. He's much more concerned about those things. In fact, I think it's on a completely different scale. Sometimes I wonder if he's at all concerned that we're, we're comfortable here. Um, and God does care. He does care about the small things. Um, and that's, that's what makes it so hard to understand a lot of times. <clears throat> so trials. My second point is it's not if, it's when. It's not if there will be trials, it's when they will come. Um, and trials come for people who are believers, people who are Christians, and hard times come for people who are not. But there can be a, there's a vast difference in how they are perceived in what happens to someone who goes through them, someone who is a believer and someone who is not. But if we look at nature, um, everywhere in life there's trials. There must be trials. There has to be, there has to be resistance to, uh, even for growth, you, for, for real growth, you have to have some sort, sort of resistance. Um, the prospering of life, of any form of life, is the overcoming of trials. Sometimes it's painful. But it has to be to produce beauty that we love to marvel and look at. Um, 
it's the mind, if we look out at nature, if we look at a big tree, at, at some of a big old, big old tree out there, um, we, we marvel at it. It's impressive because it has endured for maybe 100 or 200 years, and it stands there, and it has withstood the storms, it has withstood droughts, it has wintered um, the coldest winters for hundreds of for a hundred years, and that's impressive. That's that's wow. Um, we marvel at a ten or a twelve point buck because um, because he's the one that's eluded hunters. He survived winters. And probably around here, he's the one that's avoided car collisions, which is seemingly hard for deer. Um, <clears throat> for, for all these years, but it's the one that survived, and that's the one that we marvel at. That's the one that's impressive. It's the one that, that we say, um, good on the man that can get that one. So trials will come. One way or another, there will be trials. Uh, when we read the, of people in times past, stories of death and suffering and destruction, um, it's, it's shocking to see some of the trials that people go through, some of the atrocities of history. Um, we live in a fallen world. And a lot of those trials, they're hard to be, they're hard to, they're hard to even process on why it has to be that way. But it is a fallen and a dying world. And when Jesus called his disciples, he said to them, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. What's our response when we fall into trials, when there's a struggle? As followers of Christ, he warned, he warned his disciples early on, you can expect, you can expect the cross. You can expect some trials. You better expect them. <clears throat> so trials and challenges, they will either... There's, there's, there's a few responses we can have with trials and challenges. Um, I think we'll respond in one, or, one of two ways. One is we turn to God, we humble ourselves, and ask, for, ask Him for answers. And if we turn to God and we ask Him for, answer, for answers and we, we look for our answers in Him, I think any trial that brings us to that can be a milestone in our life. It can be a milestone for eternity. The other, one, the other response is trying to fix it yourself trying to just grit your teeth and get through it. And that's hardening. That'll cause us to spiritually harden, to spiritually become even more resistant to what God is trying to show us. <clears throat> and uh, I think that's almost the, that's one, we have two responses to almost every trial in our life. And with that, God can take every situation and He can teach us and He can draw us closer to Him 
with that situation. And he can receive glory. <clears throat> so the purpose of trials. One of the, I want to touch on one of the main purposes of trials that I see. Um, is what, what can be the purpose of some of the trials that we face. And it's, it's our benefit. It's for our spiritual benefit. But it's also for God's glory. Um, and a lot of the trials, like I say, a lot of the trials we face, uh, we don't have, I don't have answers for. It just seems too extreme, too harsh. Um, and in a lot of ways, we sometimes have to just accept that God is in control. And he knows, even if we don't understand, we have to trust him, learn to trust him. Um, I, I believe one day in eternity we will understand, we will see it clearly. <clears throat> so I want to take, take a few uh, examples out of the Old Testament, uh, starting with the story of Abraham. Um, so I asked the youth group um, at, our, at our last meeting, what is, what is the one account of the story of Abraham? When you think of Abraham, which story comes to mind when you think of his life and what he did? Hmm? Offering Isaac. And it's interesting. Abraham did a lot of great things. And I think a lot of, most of us, when we think of Abraham, we think of him offer, having to offer Isaac on the altar. And that's, that's an unimaginable challenge. That God came to Abraham one day and he said to Abraham, go offer your son Isaac. I don't know if he said more. And Abraham did. He started traveling to the mountain. He traveled for four days, a lot of thinking time. Traveled to this mountain with Isaac. They talked along the way about what, where's the sacrifice. And there he put his son on the altar and he got ready to kill him. Like kill him. And uh, that must have been an excruciating moment. I mean, how, how do you even process that as a father? And this, this was, I'd say this was probably the most, the greatest trial of Abraham's life, I'd say easily. This was the greatest trial of Abraham's life. But the strange thing is, it's also the moment that we remember out of Abraham's life. It's also the moment in Abraham's life that God received the most glory from. Was that trial, that test. <clears throat> and the Lord called from heaven and said, Do not lay your hand on the child. I have provided a lamb to be the sacrifice. And how much glory after all these years have God, has God gotten from that story, from that, from that account? From Abraham's response, from Abraham's 
um, how would I say, victory in that trial, in that test. It's amazing that those two meet there, the biggest trial of Abraham's life and the biggest triumph. <clears throat> and it's a beautiful picture. I want to take a few minutes to look at the life of David. Um, when he was a boy, he was, he was already rejected and ridiculed by his brothers. And even though he gloriously triumphed over, over Goliath, he shortly thereafter became the bitter enemy of his father-in-law, King Saul. The king, his father-in-law, was trying to kill him. And all this time, David knew somewhere in the back of his head, he knew he had been anointed king. He knew he had felt that oil on his head when Samuel had anointed him as the next king of Israel. Yet he was fleeing for his life. <clears throat> and it was the Israelite, it was the Philistine army, the Philistine army that was on his tail. It was the Israelite army that was pursuing him. And he was hiding in caves in the wilderness as an outlaw for years. And one day in a strange turn of events, he found himself standing over his enemy. with his sword out and one of his best men there to, there by his side. And Saul was sleeping. And uh, his, his faithful friend, Abishai, stood there next to him and he said, just tell me, I'll strike him once. We won't have to do it twice. <clears throat> But David, he knelt down and cut off a piece of his robe, and they left. And he went back to hiding, back to the caves. And he didn't understand why. I'm sure he asked many times. But there in that moment, he chose to leave to put that in God's hands. How much longer? He had no way of knowing how much longer it was going to be. He probably wouldn't have believed it was going to be years and years yet. He was probably wondering if he'd have to wait as long as Abraham did. But... David was going through all kinds of turmoil and confusion, a crushing through those years. And one day the Philistine kings that he, was, uh, that he found asylum with um, called him and said, Okay, we're going to go fight Israel, your old enemy. Not knowing that David did not consider anyone from Israel an enemy. <clears throat> and... Uh, they started marching. They picked up their weapons and they started marching to the battlefield. Can you imagine that? Thankfully, he was relieved and sent home. The Philistine generals didn't trust them. They were smart. 
And they came back and they found their city uh, ransacked and burning. Their wives and children were gone. And there he was with nothing. Even his men turned against him, threatening to stone him. And here we see, with, with nothing left in this world, David, he knelt down and he turned to God. And if we think about David, what he was going through there, um, he didn't understand what was happening. And, and we read the story and we, we're like, wow, that's a lot. <clears throat> but here God, he was molding the author of the Psalms. He was molding a man who knew what it meant to be in the valley of the shadow of death. A man who could pen the words, I will fear no evil, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And he wasn't writing with the skill and the smoothness of a poet, but he was writing it from a reality of a struggle that he had endured. What would we know of David if he had never gone through those valleys? We wouldn't have the Psalms if there had been no trials. <clears throat> and all the heroes of the faith, what would you know of Daniel if he'd never been tested? If he had no trials, what would you, what, what if he'd crumbled at the, at the first temptation? Of Joseph, Joshua and Caleb, Gideon, Nehemiah, if there would have never been challenges, I wouldn't have been a great victory. Without trials, there's no story to tell. There's no glory. <laughs> See, trials, they do something for us. It's like a training. Um, there's a bridge. Um, The Tacoma's narrow bridge, narrow Tacoma Narrows Bridge out in Washington. You may have heard of this. Um, there was a bridge that was built, and uh, at the time, it was called the third longest suspension bridge. The world's third. It was the third world's third longest suspension bridge. Um, anyway, uh, during construction. Um, the construction workers noticed it was always waving up and down. It was it was moving. It was a suspension bridge, so it was suspended on cables. That was part of the design. But it waved so much in the wind that the construction workers called it, nicknamed it Galloping Gertie. Um, I guess they were riding it all day. <clears throat> and it opened in July of 1940. And uh, But it was always... You could the people driving over it said it, it was all it was moving in the wind it, it moved up and down, and they tried reinforcing it, um, but it didn't work. Anyway, six less than six months later, uh, with a strong wind, 
I think a 40 mile an hour wind, it must have been just the right speed. The bridge, the whole suspension bridge started going, it just started escalating, getting worse and worse till it was, it seemed to be moving up and down. Um, there's a video out, there's videos out of actual footage. Um, like the, seems to be moving down like 10 feet up and down, just waving like a ribbon in the wind. And it eventually collapsed, boom, fell apart into the sea. Cable started breaking. And uh, it's an impressive story. I mean, everybody was able to get off. But it was uh, a failure of engineering. Somebody really messed up. He built a bridge that collapsed. A bridge that couldn't, couldn't maintain, it couldn't withstand the trials and the environment it was in. <clears throat> and... Uh, and he ended up with a pile of steel in the ocean and no bridge. <clears throat> Everything has to be able to withstand, to be, to be useful, to, be, to withstand the tests, the trials that come against it. <clears throat> in, uh, in life, in athletics... Athletes, professional athletes, um, they're always pushing to improve, always pushing to pushing their endurance, always training, always being molded, improving, and challenging themselves. So these athletes, they make their own challenges. You know, a, a runner might run on a try, put his treadmill on an incline. So he can, he can exercise, he can get stronger. And that's the way our spiritual, um, our spiritual lives, if we exercise them, the more we overcome, the stronger, the more we're able to endure, the stronger we get. Trials are a test of our strength, of our character, our maturity and growth. And they're in our lives to bring us deeper, to teach us, by enduring trials, we become stronger. <clears throat> this world will come against us with trials of every nature. Like, even like trees out in the yard. You plant a tree, it has to endure. A tree might grow fast and then a sudden wind come up and, and break it off. It grew fast, but it wasn't... What didn't get enough testing, it didn't get tested enough, it didn't get enough wind while it was growing, while it was younger. The trunk, it never got strained. And if you strain the trunk, it thickens its trunk, it grows in the trunk area, so it's stronger, so it can resist it next time. So what's our response to trials? Going on to verse 4, James 1, chapter, James 1, verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's God's plan, to bring us to protection, to, to, 
to perfection, to bring us deeper, to make us into vessels that He can use, to make us into rocks, into blocks or bricks, whatever, that He can use to build His temple, that He can use to build His church. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men liberally without reproach, and it will be given him. Let him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in his ways. <clears throat> the trying of your faith work at patience. So why patience? I wondered a little bit on that. Why patience? Why is patience so important? And I read into that that if we're patience, if we're patient in a situation we're trusting, if we're out of patience, we're uh, we're really looking for answers in drastic measures. If you still have patience, you're trusting that the situation is under control. <clears throat> patience is having is trust having faith in him and his working god is working his patience in us if we're in him if we're if we're trusting him if we have our trust and our faith in him um we never need to get a run out of patience then he's we can trust he's in control of every situation He's holding all the strings. And it'll happen just the way he wants it. His goal is his goal is for us to trust him. For us to have our faith in him. I think in a lot of trials our greatest comfort, sometimes the only comfort we have is that God is working, God is, is working through this, that God is able to work through this and bring something good. God has a plan for something good. If we put our trust and our faith in Him, He will do something glorious with our lives. His heart is to see, to see us prosper as His sons and daughters. So, we might look at our life and and be be up against something that we don't know how we should continue. Maybe there's a mountain in front of us that you don't know how to climb. Maybe no one knows. Maybe you can't figure out why there are why you have struggles in your life. And maybe you've given up. Maybe look at your life, a lot in life, and you just feel sorry for yourself. Our tendency is always to feel sorry for yourselves. That's the natural response. Very few people don't. Um, we have to kind of be alert on that. Um, watch out for self-pity. But we have to remember... We have a short life here, and it's our life, it's our eternity. 
If, if we're blaming others, if we're looking at it for the answers in others, it's our life. It's our eternity. We have a few, it's like a few, this whole life will look like a few moments in eternity. Just like we look back at the years of past years of our life. Oh, time flies. We look back at eternity from eternity to this life. We have to ask for wisdom. Jesus said, uh, or James here says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally, who gives to all liberally without reproach. So why does he jump into asking for wisdom here? What is wisdom? I think wisdom is being able to see a situation the way God sees it. If we're able to look at our lives and we're able to even in a small way see what God is working in, a, in our lives, what God is working in that situation, if we're able to comprehend that, that's wisdom. If we're able to look, look at a situation and, and understand that there's, an etern there's something eternal happening, an eternal benefit, that's wisdom. And he says if we lack wisdom, if we need wisdom, if we need to understand that, we should ask. As he gives freely, he gives liberally to everyone who asks. We have to ask by faith. We have to ask expecting an answer. If we're just, man, eh, I like it, you know, it'd be nice. But we can actually, he says here, we can come to him. Um, we can ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. We can come to him by faith and believe that there's an answer. And he'll, he'll give us the answer to a lot of our trials, to these trials that we're going through. And if we understand the trials, if we can, if we can understand why these things are happening, it shouldn't disturb us too terribly anymore. They shouldn't tear us up. <clears throat> we can trust him <clears throat> that he is in control. Um, and I want to close with a passage um, out of Matthew 11, verse 28, starting at verse 28. Come unto me, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is this rest? Does that mean he sets up a feather pillow and feeds us seedless, skinless grapes? What's this rest? Now it means we can rest. It means if he's our father and he's working for us, if God is on our side, who can stand against us? There's perfect peace to be found in that place. And that's his heart for us. <clears throat> There's perfect security in trusting him.
and he is worthy. So amen. Um, bless you, and I'll open it for sharing.